Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poritz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams and with my coaching help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at www.myfuturecoach.com and follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash coachandrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone. And if you press the number one, this will let me know you have a question. We also have a live chat room right on the show page where you can feel free to join in there. Tonight's guest, Trish Bishop, is the author of The Question Journey, a guided self-development journal that provides powerful tools to help you identify those things that are holding you back from being who you really are. Trish has created an entirely new coaching model along with her partner, Carolyn Taylor, called Your Personal Power Coach. Trish lives on Vancouver Island in British Columbia with her husband, Paul Bishop, and their two amazing children. And you can learn more about Trish at www.thequestionjourney.com and follow her on Twitter at twitter.com slash questionjourney. Trish Bishop, are you with me? I certainly am. Good night. How are you? It is evening with you guys. It's late where you are right now. Uh, it's 9.32. Yeah, although we never know. People could be listening to this after the fact at any time during the day. That, that's right. Actually, uh, the majority of people are listening to this in the future. So uh, to those of you in the future, uh, welcome. I hope it's really good over there. So we just spoke to the people from the future. You know, I, uh, before we start, I, I am reminded when I'm reading your book of a classic episode of Star Trek, believe it or not, that starred Joan Collins. And there was this thing called the Guardian Forever, and it says, A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space, and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. And here we are on the question journey. Interesting. Yes. I've always <laughs> wanted an opportunity to say that line for absolutely no reason, and tonight was the night. <laughs> And yet we are also sitting here with with a question, maybe not the question, because um, the question can be different for every one of us. But yeah, we kind of sit here with our questions, absolutely. That's right. So, so first of all, tell me, how did you come to write this book? Well, that's an interesting story. I'm actually, I'm an IT professional. I design enterprise learning solutions, mostly for Fortune 500 companies. And uh, it was about December of 2008, I guess, and I was reading another book, and I was actually reading about Cindy Cashman's novel called uh, Everything Men Know About Women, and I was kind of sitting there chuckling to myself uh, when I read that this book was basically one of those empty books. There's nothing on any of the pages, right? And I thought that was kind of kind of cute. And so as I'm sitting there laughing, all of a sudden this information around this book just starts like downloading into my head. And you know, I'm I'm not a channeler per se. I don't you know I don't say that I'm, I'm a channeler, but I do know that even in the IT world, you know, if I was doing solution designs as a solution architect, that I would you know, understand what the user's requirements were, and then I would go off and, you know, kind of percolate in my mind for a while, and then all of a sudden, boom, the solution would just download into my head. So I was used to what that feeling was like, 
to just mm. download information, you know, in a big way. And so all of the concepts around the book, you know, the design of it, what it was intended to be, what it was going to be called, all of that was literally, I was writing, you know, it was done in 24 hours, right? I was writing on little post-it notes in the middle of the night and then waking up in the morning trying to figure out what order they were supposed to go in. So it was it was one of those things. So within 24 hours, the majority of the design and the thought and around the book and even the front end, the writing on the front end of the book was all done. Wow. Yeah, nine months later it was in my hand. So it was a bit of a bit of a crazy experience. And and what kept coming to me, you know, because a lot of us get ideas, right? We we you know, we're sitting there and we're like, Oh, we have this brilliant idea and then you always have the choice you're gonna do something with it or not and you know, the majority of the time not, right? We mm-hmm. don't do anything with it. And so this this book, the messages that I got around this book were, were so imperative, like the feeling around them was so imperative. Um, around basically the message being that we're coming to a place in our own development where we need to step away from the teachers and the gurus and we really need to look inside for, for these answers that we keep you know searching for so diligently and that the question journey is just one of many, many tools that will be emerging over the next, um, the next while that will facilitate that ability to go inside. And so when I saw that, you know, and I was getting those messages and those feelings around this, I, you know, kept hearing my teacher in my head, one of my kind of teachers in my head who kept saying, when you ask the universe for something, the universe delivers. And so, you know, when the universe knocks on your, your door and asks you for something, what are you going to do? <laughs> and, that, and that's how I felt. I felt like it was my responsibility to step up. It wasn't one of those ideas that I could just pass off and, and not do anything with. Wow, that's awesome. Now, and you said this took uh, from nine months from the point that you thought of this? Until it was actually physical? Yeah. So it was December 2008 that I, you know, downloaded it or whatever in my mind. And then September of 2009, we had physical books in hand. As the same book that I'm feeling right now in my hand? Yes, it is. So because, you know, what what you can't see from listening to this, obviously, the the, the quality of this is this very great quality of uh, paper, the, the paper in the book, very beautiful, nice feeling it has that good book smell you know you know the you know the smell i'm talking about right i do i do you go oh like you reminded me of like when i used to get the encyclopedia every year and we had a the world book right and uh and every year we would get the annual yearbook the and 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 i always look the the smell alone was intoxicating of this book and the feeling of opening it it has that that that's what the smell reminded me of nice I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and you have all these different kinds of questions. It seems as if you could really open it up almost anywhere. Yeah, you know, not even seems as if it's actually one of the recommendations that I make in the book. I really? Say, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's so interesting because there's layers and layers. Well, we, we have our layers and layers and layers, and everything's about peeling back, you know, the layers of the onion, as it were. The book has layers, too. And, and these were all specifically by design, and they came from my own experience of coming from my own misery <laughs> in my own path. So, for example, there's no page numbers on the, in the book, right? And just mm-hmm. to explain to people who, who are listening so they have a better understanding of what this is, there's only like five or six pages in the front end of the book that have any writing. And then every page from that point forward is just a question, and the page is designed as beautiful artwork on each page, and they're designed for you to be able to write and draw and doodle all over the, the page with regards to the question. So there's no, there's no page numbers. And for some people, that will absolutely drive them nuts. There's no lines on the pages. And I've, I've had mm-hmm. people come to me and say, you know what, I, I can't... I I can't, I can't draw in the book. 
I'm like, why? Because there's no lines. And I'm saying, well, you know, you really need to look at that, right? <laughs> that's, that's something you're struggling with, like perfectionistic tendencies and, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder and, you know, all these other things that we, we have as components of our personality that we really don't address in, on a day-to-day basis that the book kind of starts to pull forward. And so the, the, the thought of, as you said, randomly opening the book to just some random question um, is hard for some people. And so I recommend that that's the way that you go about it is just, you know what, just open it up and see what, what question emerges. Well, you know, that's actually, believe it or not, how I uh, I read most of that World Book Encyclopedia, which I think was like 20-something volumes, <laughs> that, uh, that I would very often just open it up and see where it landed, and then I would learn something today. Right. You know, and th- that's when I wasn't, you know, using it to, you know, to crib for a book report. But that's another story. Yes, no, totally. But you're absolutely right. And some people are very prone. It was a practice actually that a woman showed me years ago. That because for me, I was always very analytical, and it's like you know, you start a book at the beginning, you end it at the end, right? And uh, and she she actually showed me this practice of randomly opening a book and just seeing what message is there for you, and trusting. I mean, that's the big thing, right? Is trusting that that message has relevance to you right now and that it's come to you for a specific reason. Um, so I, I love that you, know, that you had that experience with the encyclopedias where you just open up and say, what am I going to learn today, right? So, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Now, but going back to what you're talking about and writing in the book, and, and I have to tell you, I'm one of those people who cannot, I cannot bring myself to write in a book. It, it's, it goes against everything, every inch of my body wants to fight that, and I just want to really – plus I like to type. I mean, I, I can type 10 million words a minute. Right. So, so first of all, is that okay? Oh, it's totally okay. I mean, the one thing that people learn about me very quickly is that I don't have a lot of rules, right? I used to have a ton of rules, and so now to compensate for that, I've, I've come to the point in my life where I don't have a lot of rules. So it's, everything that I say in the book is, a, is really a recommendation. How okay. people want to, you know, the way that people engage in this journey is going to be always very specific to who they are, where they are in their, in their process, um, you know, and, and how they want to use the book is completely and totally up to them. All I've done is given a couple of, you know, recommendations based on my own experience, but it's only my experience. So mm-hmm. totally okay to do whatever it is that, that comes to you. And I can obviously, I can tell that you're a book lover. And yes. I mean, I'm a book lover too, right? Like, you know, don't dog ear the pages, don't write in a book. Right. All that kind of stuff, right? And plus you, you will get in trouble from yeah, sources totally. that I, I have no idea who these people are anymore, but... <laughs> I know that it will happen. Exactly. This is, green, this is this is like from the same people who bring you, and you will finish everything on your plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you know, I've learned to take a smaller plate and put less food on it. Ah. Yes. So I can I can still adhere to my eat everything on your plate approach. I don't that, like that's a great either. strategy. Yeah, I just take less food. Mm. <laughs> I never thought of that. I keep on getting bigger plates and wondering why uh, I think this challenge right now. There you go. So, um, you know, later on in this uh, hour, I'm actually going to bring out some of the questions themselves. But for now, I think we there's so many things that we can talk about. This is really, really quite interesting. Um, now, would you do you use journal journaling? I, I'm a I'm an avid journaler. Eh, I can speak English. I can. I'm an avid journaler. I avid love journaler. to journal. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a hundred of them. 
right? And I, you know, I've, they're not all full. And I, in fact, I, I'll tell you a funny, I have, I've actually, in my will, I've actually assigned certain of my journals to my kids. Wow. Because I, I know that there will be lessons in there that will be pertinent to either of them <laughs> at some point in their lives. And, and I capture my life in those journals, I do. Um, and that's one of the reasons, like when, you know, when, I, when I created the book and the design of the book, it, 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 you have one there physically, it's coil bound. And, and that's specifically because I know that people who love to journal uh, and love to engage in a book like this can't stand it when a book does not lay flat. Right, so the uh, coil yeah. binding allows the book to lay flat, or allows you to flip the book over, so that you can, you know, just work on one page and not have to have the book wide open. And so that's that's very much by design, even though it makes it more difficult to mass market it because the bookstores, of course, if there's no, you know, and there's no binding on the on the end of the book, on the edge of the book, the bookstores really don't want to put it on their shelves, right? So they do take it and they do put it in there, but it's it's a bit of a process because they're like, eh, it doesn't have any binding, and yeah. But the the coil to me was more important for the end user to to mm-hmm. who's using the book to be able to have the book lay flat. So totally, and I love to journal. Do you journal? Uh, you know, I have done a little bit, and I actually had a uh, a woman on my show named Kim Adis. I don't know if you know who she is. No. And her whole thing is all about journaling. She has this very uh, interesting free online journal. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So you can type. Cool. What's that? You, so you can type into the Yes. Because I'm like you. I can type 100 million miles an hour. Yeah, and it's really, it's really pretty amazing. So, I love that. Uh, I'm going to have to go check out that uh, in your archives. Uh, yeah, Kim Adis, A-D-E-S. Awesome. And she has, like I say, a free journaling program. When she asks you kind of guided questions, and every week you get a new homework assignment if you, or you can make up your own. I love it. Well, like, like you could probably use yours, for example. Well, and you know what? Like I said, when I, when I got the message around this book, it's just one of many tools that will emerge that will facilitate that ability for people to look inside. So I love what she's doing. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's so I, and what is. Uh, now, how do you use it? How do I use the book? How do you use journaling? Oh, how do I use journaling? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times in my life where I get to a point where I become very introspective, and when I do that, I like to journal. And I don't tend to journal. I don't type when I journal, actually, interestingly enough. Uh, I do like to physically write it. It's almost as if it's a kind of a cathartic experience where I am able to allow what is inside of me to emerge through my hand, through the pen, onto the paper. Um, and I'm always amazed. You know, I'm always amazed when I go back and I read some of these journaling, you know, the journaling that I've done. And in fact, it's one of the reasons at the bottom of the pages in the book, you'll notice I have the date and the location. And I, I found that in, one, in a journal that I got years ago. And I love that because when I go back years later and I read through a journal, I can see where I was and, and when I wrote it and, you know, start to relate the events around that time to what it is that I wrote. You know, sometimes I was in a very dark place. Sometimes I was in a state of absolute joy. Um, but when I read what I wrote, I'm like, wow, I wrote that? That's so cool. You know, so it's, it's just, it's really, it just allows it to kind of emerge um, in more of a physical way for me. So that's, for me, that's what journaling is. It's kind of releasing it out of my body and, uh, you know, letting it go as it were. You know, my, my, my handwriting is so – let me put you this way. To give you an idea how bad my handwriting is, I, I was offered a full medical scholarship just based <laughs> on handwriting alone. 
dear, buddy. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so that might have been a ha moment, but now I'm going to ask you about an aha moment, which you write yes. about. Yes. What? Tell me about aha moments. Yes, we all have them, right? We all have mm-hmm. those moments where the kind of light bulb goes on, right? Sure. And we're like, oh, oh, now I get it. And, and what's so interesting is that we will hear the same thing over and over and over again, and yet it's that one time that that one person says that one small thing, and it just clicks into place, right? Or we're in mm-hmm. that experience or whatever it is. Um, and, and so at the beginning of the book, what I write about is wanting to be able to create them more consciously, right? So, you know, I was kind of getting a little bit annoyed. I'm, a, You know, I'm kind of... I can get impatient, right? Like I, I move very quickly. I, th- I process quickly. I think pr- quickly. I move quickly. I just I'm moving all the time, um, and, and except when I'm in kind of my quiet spaces. But you know, so I'm I'm getting these aha moments, and they're happening. But I don't want to just sit there and wait for it to arrive someday. You know, like I, I I'd like to be a little bit more proactive in creating an aha moment. So so I started to look at, you know, how can I how can I make this happen much more consciously um, than than just, you know, waiting for them to arrive whenever they felt like it. And? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, what, it, what I came to was, yes. for the most part, is that, you know, and, and again, this is me and my experience, not everyone is coming from the same place, but, you know, I came from the IT world, um, you know, I was in the Internet industry for a long time, I was a female in the internet industry, and so I was very much in my male energy. I was very aggressive. Um, you know, I was all up in my head, right? Like totally up in my head. And what I what I realized is I started to look at this. You know, where's the disconnect happening, mm-hmm. right? I started to realize that um, there was there was a huge gap between my head and my heart, right? So I was all in my head, totally not in my heart at all. Um, and that's where that's where I was, you know, it was it was like it, things were trying to emerge, but my brain was getting in the way. I was thinking myself out of my aha moments, as it were. Aha. Aha. Aha is what I have to say to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, so that that really yeah I mean that that really came to light for me you know a couple of years ago I was I was at a party and, uh, and you know I, I kind of described this in the book we were at a Christmas party and. Um, you know, I was I was talking to this woman, and we were we were engaged in conversation. And and I hope people know what I'm saying when I say this. But sometimes you engage in conversation with someone, and it's like you and the other person are in a bubble, right? Mm-hmm. You're just you're totally engaged at the energetic level. Like it's not even you're not even really person to person. You're spirit to spirit, and mm-hmm. you're you're engaged in this conversation, and you're you're pushing each other's boundaries, but you're doing it in a really um, respectful way. But it just seems like you're just two people and you're the only two people in the universe and you're just like, you know, you're talking to them, they're talking to you and you're just engaged and it's just a totally cool experience. And so this had happened at this party and after, uh, you know, the next day, the the hostess of the party had been overhearing our conversation. She was very upset, right, very upset by the nature of our conversation. And and I kind of looked at that and I sat back and I said, you know, that doesn't really work for me. I mean, you know, so I apologized to her for the fact that I've made her feel uncomfortable in her own home. But by the same token, I thanked her and I said, you know what, I really, really appreciate that you brought this to my attention because that isn't going to work in my world, right? I'm not going to pretend I'm not who I am. I'm not going to not engage with people um, out of fear of what someone else is going to think. Uh, I'm not going to live my life that way. And mm. so, 
as a result of that experience, I really, um, you know, I, I took, I made it, took a very clear, you know, drew, drew the line in the sand and said, I, I'm not interested in mundane conversation. I'm not interested in talking about the latest sale at the mall. I could, I don't care, right? What I do care about is connecting with people at a real level, connecting with that person authentically, about seeing who they really are and being who I really am in the engagement. And so that's where, and of course, when you make significant shifts and decisions in your life like that, your cast of characters change, and that's exactly what happened in my life. Wow. Mm. And then they felt head, you know, those new people, of course, held my feet to the fire and put my back to the wall and <laughs> forced me to get out of my head and into my heart and all that, right? So it was fun. Uh, it's great that you had those kinds of people there to, to do that. Fantastic. Amazing people in my life. I'm so blessed. So tell me about the information station. Well, and again, it's the the shift from your head to your heart. And when I talk about the information station, you know, we we are inundated with so much information. And I mean, if if you, if people that are that are listening to this are are what I call quote unquote on our path, right? We're 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 interested in personal development. We're interested mm-hmm. in um, you know being all that we can be. About you know, we're interested in letting go of the traumas mm-hmm. and and the crap that we've been carrying around for so long that are holding us back and all of that kind of stuff. You know, we are constantly in search of the, of information. We're constantly looking for those answers. And so what, what ends up happening is we, we kind of um, we consume vast amounts of information hoping that we are going to be able to find that elusive answer. And what I talk about is, I, you know, I often refer to the difference between information and knowledge, right? And so what I say is that information is what you learn to be true, right? So we take information in and we, we say yes, you know, or, or we learn it, mm-hmm. but knowledge is what we know to be true. So, for example, when I, you know, if I read a book on on spirituality or whatever it happens to be, it doesn't really matter. Um, but if I read a book by, you know, one of the gurus or whatever, I'm very conscious about only taking away from that book that which resonates with me. So, if it resonates, that that's when you're tapping into knowledge rather than information. That's when the heart is saying, "Hey, yeah, we agree with that. That that we already know that." Um, now, it may not be that you're, you're consciously aware that you know it, but because it resonates, it's actually an indicator to you that that is knowledge that you hold. And, and therefore, there's a, there's a difference between information and knowledge. And is so, it knowledge or is it wisdom? Knowledge, wisdom. I mean, I'm, I don't get too caught up in the, in the vernacular. Okay. <laughs> you know, you can go either way, whatever you want to refer to it as. But, but ultimately, it's a knowing um, or or, you know, wisdom that comes, that is within you, right? So if I read the book and you read the same book, what resonates with you and what resonates with me may be completely different. Uh, I'm often going to find that I might read a book in which maybe, you know, there's one page out of the entire book that it was worth reading the entire book just for that one page. Oh, totally. Those are the little golden nuggets, right? Mm-hmm. You know, finding those nuggets. I love finding nuggets. But they're like aha moments, Right. Sometimes they're elusive. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) You could read the entire book and go, oh, my God, that's just like the last book I read, just using different words. (laughs) A lot of them are. I mean, there's so many many different ways of saying uh, things. And and, uh, what was that line? There's nothing new under the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, know, of course, uh, I I hope there is. But you know what? I got to tell you. 
I, I had a. I'm going to take you to a little bit down the rabbit hole here. Uh oh. I mean, it, you know, if we're in this in this space and we're on our journey, of course, yeah. we've heard people talking about the fact that you know that nothing is real, right? Like if we look mm-hmm. at the secret of the law of attraction, whatever this is, nothing's real, right? Mm-hmm. It's just all what we create, okay? So right. If we, if we go with that, now, again, this information station, you know, when it's all up in my head, it all makes sense to me. Like, I can process it, but I wasn't really embodying it. I wasn't really taking it in and, and coming from my heart around this information. So I, I actually came to a place where I, you know, so in my head I got, quote, unquote, that nothing was real. But I didn't really embody that information, right? So as I'm moving along my process or whatever it is I'm doing, all of a sudden I, I totally get that nothing's real. You know, I'm looking out my window and I'm not even seeing anything. I'm not seeing the trees, I'm not seeing the road, I'm not seeing anything. And I kind of got at a cellular level that nothing's real and I was like, "Whoa." You know, that that kind of freaked me out. And it actually triggered an 18-month depression. You know, because what happened was going back to this there's nothing new under the sun. What happened was I said, you know, in my mind, I'm going, "Okay, well if nothing's real, then what's the point?" But really, what's the point? And when I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Somebody could come into my, my dining room right now, and they could put $10 million on my table, and there's really nothing I'm going to be able to do with that $10 million that hasn't already been done. Nothing. I would just be doing another version or another iteration of what's already been done. I remember, I remember being in Pompeii with my husband, and we're walking around. Wow. And I'm dying I'm, to go there, by the way. I know. Have you been there? No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by Pompeii. And I'm like, these people were brilliant, right? You're mm-hmm. looking at the, the way that they're, they've set up their, their water systems and how they mm-hmm. have tanks of water in, in the shade. I mean, it was just it was brilliant, the plumbing back then. And I'm like, there really is nothing new under the sun. You know, and, so, and so I kind of came to this whole process of saying, you know, what, what, what's the point? And, and for me, for, for other people, that might not be an issue, right? For me, you know, kind of being an Aries, always being on the bleeding edge of technology or bleeding edge of something, always feel like I'm creating something that doesn't exist. Right. To have that awareness come that I'm not really creating anything new, it's just another iteration of what already was, mm-hmm. was a bit of a, like, brick wall, right? And so, you know, this whole depression thing. And then ultimately I just started getting this message to get a dog, <laughs> get a dog. Get a dog. That is the ultimate wisdom. I know. And so I, I get a dog, get a dog. And so I went off and I, I researched and I did all this. And I got a dog. I got a little multi-poo. Uh-huh. And um, she's just a doll. And it literally, you know, I'm sitting there in a state of depression and I'm watching this dog day in and day out in a state of absolute bliss playing with a piece of paper on the floor. And I start to realize that, you know, I can sit here and I can – you know, be depressed over the fact that nothing's real, right? Or I can actually choose to engage and play the game and just play it on my own terms, right? Make up my own rules. Sure. Play my own game, create a new game. You know, maybe it's all been done before, but if I chose to be in this experience, I might as well experience the experience. That's the only way. Yeah. You know, you've put a couple of songs in my head that are playing now. One is Strawberry Fields Forever. Because <laughs> Strawberry Fields... Yes. Nothing is real. 
that's the line There's in the so song. much wisdom. I mean, look at that. Yeah. I mean, when I see these quotes from people who lived hundreds of years ago, John Lennon, I mean, you know, as a kid, I didn't yeah. get it, right? I, I see it now, and it's like brilliant. Like this stuff, there's nothing, again, there's nothing new here. People have been talking about this for centuries. <clears throat> you can see it in the writings. And when you go back and you look at it from that perspective, you're like, wow. Like, you know, I think I'm pretty smart because I'm sitting here and we're mm-hmm. emerging into this evolution of new knowledge. Hello? <laughs> People have been doing it for a long time. It just happens to be more openly accepted, and we have a larger population base than we ever had. And the, uh, the other song, by the way, playing in my head is, Is that all there is? <laughs> <laughs> is that all there is? <laughs> then let's keep dancing, right? Uh, yeah. That's yeah. the line. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, so in my mind works that way. As soon as I hear things like songs start playing. Yeah. Absolutely, and I, yeah, I, I, I don't start thinking of songs, but I do hear quotes come in my head in a similar. Fashion. I get quotes too, quotes yeah. and songs. Yeah, for song sure. quotes. So um, there's this really nice part of this book uh, before you get to the questions, and I was wondering if you'd like to read a piece of it. Do you have the book with you? I do have the book with me. What part do you want me to read? The invitation. Oh, the invitation! Yes, yes, yes. The invitation. I mean, I don't think you would want to read the whole thing. It's pretty, you know, long. But a few, a few paragraphs. Actually, do you know what? Nice. I have no? a, I have a condensed version of it. Oh, wow! Yeah, my lucky day. The, yeah, let me read the condensed version of it. Read the condensed version. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's actually written by Araya Mountain Dreamer, who is mm-hmm. Canadian, and uh, she gave me permission to put it in the book. So here's the condensed version. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing, it doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you've been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from the fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes, without cautioning us to be careful, to be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you are telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself if you can hear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul, if you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for reading that. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. Very welcome. So uh, I'm going to get to a few of the questions here, and then we can just sort of play with them, or maybe we'll just pull some out of the the book. Ones that I I just wrote down a few of them. Sure. This is one, one a few that I like. What do you want to attract into your life? So tell me, like when when somebody writes the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- how do you follow it up? <laughs> how do you follow it up? Well, and, and I mean, it depends on the person. You know, I mean, we've. how do you follow it up? How do they choose to follow it up? First, they have to really acknowledge that they are attracting things into their life. So if they are 
negative and um, and in a negative space and always being negative, they're going to attract negative people and negative mm-hmm. energy into their lives. Whereas if they're positive, they're going to be attracting positive people. And it's a very oversimplified approach to it. But ultimately, um, you know, there needs to be an awareness of what you're attracting and why you're attracting it. Um, now, as far as following it up, there's, I mean, there's many things that, that we have in place. So, for example, you know, to a certain degree, people can work with the book on their own. But I think at a certain point in time, and, and you, you know, being a coach and working with so many amazing coaches, I'm sure, um, at a certain point in time, we get to the place where we can't see our own crap, right? We really can't see our own stuff. Totally. And we, we need to be able to bounce that off somebody or have them you know, ask us the tough questions and probe a little deeper into into what this is. So we have what we call journey circles, which provides uh, a safe, non-judgmental environment for people to come together. I've got uh, three or four of them that are going now here on the island, for example. Uh, and we just come together once a month. And, you know, there could be anywhere between 6 and 12 people who come and attend these regularly. And we just open the book randomly, maybe we get through one question, maybe get, we get through two questions. But it allows us to hear other people's experiences. Um, you don't have to participate, you know, so it's, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to, you can or whatever. Um, and the other thing that we do is we have what we call journey guides who are coaches like, like yourself um, that we know, you know, that I know operate from heart, right? It's not about ego and have walked the walk, right? So they have that experience. They, they've come through their own journey and mm-hmm. therefore, you know, quote unquote, have the right to be able to facilitate other people's. And so if they want to do it one-on-one, we have journey guides that they can engage as well. Nice. Now, do, do those groups, you say you do them in person? Mm-hmm. Do they, uh, have you done any of them virtual, you know, like telephone or anything? Yeah, I actually I did, I did do one or two just to see how it would fly, and there wasn't a significant amount of uptake at that time, but I think, you know, it continues to emerge and the word continues to spread kind of thing, and so mm-hmm. I'm totally open to that. I mean, coming from the IT world, I love to do things virtually. So, you know, whether it's uh, through a webinar or a teleconference or whatever the case may be, absolutely. You know, I would absolutely be open to that. I've participated in, you know, in online webinars that were where everyone, they they had like uh, boxes of people. You could see people. Cool. Pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Love technology. Speaking of, you know, I started this conversation with Star Trek, but Star Trek is pretty much here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Isn't it, though? Yeah, I mean, all I need to do next is be able to just, like, zap myself from one place to another without having to get an airplane. That would be so great. <laughs> I know. You know? <laughs> I don't know where where the TSA would play a role in that, but <laughs> I don't know. Another great question that you have, it's one of my favorites, what are you pretending not to know? Oh, isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think my friend Melanie submitted that, didn't she? Does it say submitted by Melanie Love? Um, you know, I I I know that you had the uh, the uh, people in the back who submitted questions. I didn't see was it are they also on the page? On the, the page, yeah, it'll generally say that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, what are you pretending not to know? That's it. because we do. We you know, we uh, you know, maybe it's it's just as simple as uh, you know, you know your your partner is cheating on you, and yet you continue to ignore all the signs intuitively. You ignore the physical signs, and then after the fact, you're like, "Oh, I knew that." So maybe it's that, or mm-hmm. maybe something about yourself that you're pretending not to know, because acknowledging it is going to mean that you have to face some things that you're really not ready 
to face yet. And so, you know, what are you pretending not to know? That that's a tricky question. What are you pretending not to know, Andrew? I I can't tell you that. <laughs> you have that right, of course. I I have that right. I I I I think there are so many things that if I wanted to really get into that that question, that's, that's I think that's one of the reasons I liked it. I think that's what I'm I'm uh, making a note of so that for me to do. Right. You know, cool. some of these are questions that you know I've used. You know, like what lessons are there for you? Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably one of the biggest questions I'm going to ask somebody all the time. It's like, what's the lesson here? Yeah, totally. Because if you don't recognize the lesson, you're just you can just turn around and just continue to to engage in the same behavior or the same experience. And you know what do they call it when you do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results? Insanity. That is correct. <laughs> One of my favorite questions. Well, that's a question with a with a built-in answer. Yeah. Here's another one. What actions, habits, or traits do you despise in others? Mm. And I like the, the little follow-ups. Like when when were they done to you, and when have you done them to others? Is, yeah. Is that, I mean, and is that not it? That's I mean, that's it, right? It's it's Debbie Ford's shadow effect. It's the mirror mm-hmm. theory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that those things that you absolutely I like to refer to it as that trigger you, you know, so when somebody else does this, sometimes all you have to do is see the other person or hear their name, right, once you've developed this trigger around them, and yes. your gut just starts to burn. <laughs> like, you just, you can't even think about them without just going right off the deep end. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the the stronger that reaction is, you know, the more that you are carrying that trait and perpetrating that trait in some way, shape, or form, Right. And, sure. uh, you know, either buried deep or whatever the case may be. Oh, I, I mean, I come across these tons. I mean, for me, the big one was entitlement. Like, I absolutely could not stand people who thought they were, they were entitled. I mean, it would, mm. just, it would just totally send me over the edge. And when I, when I had to go in and explore it, it wasn't that I, that I was behaving like I was entitled, right? Because that, that, people look at it as very black and white sometimes and say, oh, but I'm not doing that. You know, it wasn't that I was entitled or that I believed I was entitled. The reason it triggered me is because I actually believed I wasn't. Hmm. I believed I was not entitled, and therefore those people who thought they were entitled totally just set me off. So do you now know that you're entitled? It's one that it's <laughs> certainly an issue that continues to show itself, but now when I see it, it doesn't trigger me anymore. So I've moved past it, and, and yes, I have had to do a lot of work. And I think a lot of people in our generation suffer from that, from that feeling like they're not entitled. Well, I think it's also related to not good enough. <laughs> Unworthy. Unworthy. I am not worthy. Right. Yep. And that, that, that's a, an area that, um, I mean, we could just spend hours and hours. Oh, on. You know what, and, and I think, you know, I could be wrong here, but mm-hmm. as I've had to peel away my layers of my own onion, uh, right. you know, through these, these different processes, you know, I came to a level where I realized that I think that I found the core issue that, that we really struggle with, and that is that we don't believe we're enough. That when we put ourselves out there in the world, you know, if we were to really step into our power and really put ourselves out there in the world, Mm-hmm. That somehow we will not be enough, and that's why we and that's why we don't 
That's why we don't step into our power. We don't share our gifts with the world. We don't step into who we were really meant to be. That's my theory, anyway. I know. I I totally agree with you. I know. I mean, it's I I got quiet because that's the, that's one that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and, and, and what would the world look like if those people who have been stopped by "I'm not enough" got past it? And and I mean, that brings me that. I mean, and that's such a powerful question. You know, I, I think the world would be magnificent if we could see everybody out there just sharing their gifts. But the trigger question for me in this book was what have you missed out on or given up or gone without because you haven't stepped up? Mm. And this was me not stepping up. I mean, when I first heard this question, I was at a, a conference with Peak Potentials, and they stood on stage and they asked that question, and I just, the tears just start, and I'm not much of a crier, i got to tell you. Right. But Tears just started rolling down my face. I could not stop crying. I was sobbing because I realized, you know, not just me. What what actually tore me up was that my family, my family has gone without and given up, you know, and not had certain things because I did not step up. And that mm-hmm. tore me, right? And so, and, and, you know, then you move past that and you realize, you know, yourself. But, again, it's so much easier when we're doing it for someone else. It's so much more difficult when everything we're doing is for ourselves. Yeah, I know for me personally, it's so is it that what you just said, you name the thing like I, I like to cook for people. Mm-hmm. Now for me, <laughs> it, it's it's a whole different different game. I will slap something together when it's for me. Right. It will look really good if I do it for somebody else. Sure, it will. Sure it will. And to some degree, I think that that's, that's by design. I mean, really, if we, if we weren't here to help others, if we weren't here to enable others, if we weren't here to be in service to others, which I really think is fundamentally why we're here, to be in service to others, not of service, in mm-hmm. service, mm-hmm. we'd just be here, you know, why are all these people on my planet? <laughs> I, had a woman, I had a woman I talked to one day, and she said that. She said, well, if we weren't here to help others, why are these people on my planet? <laughs> And it, it's true. Why why would we all be here if it weren't for the fact that we we are here at some level to be in service to others? I mean, it brings up the Bob Dylan song, right? Which which one? You, you know, you got to serve somebody. Yeah, you got to serve somebody. Yeah, you got to serve somebody. There you go. Okay, I'm going to say it and do it right, right? <laughs> no, that's very. You're just bringing up so many interesting. Now, what peak potentials class was this, by the way? Uh, I think it was the Millionaire Mind that I was at. Oh, okay, yeah. I've, yeah I have, I've done, I have done a few of them, but I think that one in particular was the Millionaire Mind. Yeah, that's your basic peak potentials. Um, I, I got to volunteer coach in, uh, in uh, one, of their, one of their courses. I, I like that. I like that group. Yeah, they're fantastic. I, I love them. I think they're, they're amazing. And, and I, you know, not everyone is, is game for their approach, but for me, I love the in-your-face, Mm-hmm. No holds barred approach. Like that is totally what I'm about. You know, I don't want anybody man being pam being me. Like, you know what? If I'm ready to do this, I'm doing this. <laughs> Bring it on. Oh, that's really really cool. So, um, oh, you know, when you when we're talking about the this particular question around the actions and habits or traits you despise and others, I had a moment today. <laughs> I, I was in an elevator, and on one floor, somebody walks in the elevator on the phone. Right, and they're yep. talking. 
you know, I, I know I immediately go into like, oh, come on. I, I just like hope this elevator ride will be over soon. Uh, two floors later, another person comes in on the phone. Now, there, these two people are talking. And another f- floor later, another person walks in on the phone. And now we have these three people standing next to each other, and they're on the phone, all having completely different conversations, you know, you, of which you hear one side. Yep. W- one guy's very loud. And then the other two people in the elevator were playing with their phones. And 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 I'm I'm just like oh my god this is I was I was laughing but I also it was like this is so annoying and I'm going but I've done that right so there was a really in my face way of showing me don't do that <laughs> <laughs> and you know what it's always it's always fascinating when I'm working with clients. And, and, you know, the first thing they want to do is they want to tell you all about this person that just pisses them off. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I can't stand it, and they just do this, and they do that, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I just sit there, and I listen to them, and they go on and on and on, and then I just say to them, and when do you, when do, you do that to others in your life? Just that one simple question, and they kind of look at me in a state of shock. And they go, oh, my God. And, and they, they see it, right? They know exactly when they're sure. doing that to other people in their lives. And and yet when you're when you're just in that state of being so angry, it is so difficult to see past that. The emotion makes it almost impossible to allow yourself to be able to sit back. Um there's a, a lovely woman that I met here in Victoria, her name is Terry. And uh she said she said to me at a journey circle once when we were talking about this, she said, you know, I've I've gotten to the place now where I understand this to the point where as soon as somebody walks into my office and, and they trigger me I just kind of sit back and, and become a bit of the observer, and I ask myself, what do I need to learn here? And she engages in the experience from that perspective, which I think is brilliant. We're not all at the point where we're, we're able to just do that because sometimes our emotions are just like so, like whatever. But to be able to sit back and be the observer in your own experience in the moment and watch that go on and kind of say, oh, okay, well, there's something going on here, so what, what is it that I'm looking for? And to pay attention to the behavior to be able to see what it is about that person that, you're, that is triggering you so that you can start to see where you are doing it, you know, what, what within yourself do you need to let go of or need to look at or need to re- you know, recognize in whatever way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some questions that I normally would have asked in the beginning of the show, and I went, I kind of jumped right into it with you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, like, you know, I was going to ask you a little some some things about your your story. Yes. That we didn't really talk about. Like, I I, I know you grew up in Nova Scotia, correct? Yes, that's right. And you came from I would it would sound like pretty modest means. Yeah, yeah, we would have been a middle income family for sure. And you and 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 you had a period of time when you were uh, you were a single mother mm-hmm. of an infant, and that and you met your husband at, to be at that time. Yes, yes. That, so I, I mean, was, that just is an amazing piece of information when I saw that. Yeah, well, I I, um, I was a I was a single mom at twenty. I mean, even before that, I mean, you know, I I was always high honors in school, and here's here's what happened: I was high honors in school all the way through school. And then I get to grade 11, and because my marks are so good, I actually, my, my mom had, um, you know, facilitated the process to submit uh, 
you know, an application to go to Mount St. Vincent University in Halifax, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, from grade 11, so without finishing school. And it was actually accepted because my marks were so good. And so, you know, that was, so from grade 11, I go to university, right? I get to university and I absolutely hate everything that has to do with university, right? I am not one of these people who can conform. I refuse to conform. And so, you know, I didn't like their teachers. I didn't mm-hmm. like what they were teaching. I didn't, I, didn't like the, I didn't like anything about it. I hated it. So within three months, I was out of university and essentially a high school dropout at that point, right? And so then I go off and I work for a while, you know, waitressing, whatever it is that I'm doing. Next thing you know, I find myself a single mom at 20, high school dropout. So I'm sitting there one day, and I've just received my first welfare check in the mail. And I'm going, you know what? This is not going to work for me, right? This is not, and it wasn't even just so much about me. It was not what I wanted for my son. I did not want that for him. I, I, I knew that I could, I could do more with my life. I knew I was capable of doing whatever I, whatever I wanted. And so I, I really um, I met my husband. My son was six months. He, you know, my husband and I have been together pretty much since then. So my, my son was six months old at the time. And, uh, you know, and he, he literally was the foundation that allowed me. I went back to grade 12. I took my grade 12 at, at 21 years of age. I went to the local college and got a business information technology course, and then I ended up in the, in the Internet business, and the rest is history. But everything, I've never had formal education. Everything I've learned, I've learned on my own through osmosis or whatever. Um, and, you know, it ultimately ended up being a, a global implementation manager for Fortune 500 companies. Right, doing doing uh, enterprise learning solutions. That's quite impressive. Now, your your husband strikes me as somebody. I, I mean, there's a man I'd like to shake his hand. Here's here's a here's a um, uh, how old was he at the time when you met him? Oh my goodness, he's two years older than me. So 23, 24. The, the 23 year old uh, guy who um, is now meet somebody who is in the situation that you are in. It's certainly not the most romantically enticing type of situation for most <laughs> people to look at. Oh, here's a here's a woman with a baby. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for. So uh, he was able to take you in like that, take you, you know, to to fall for you and 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 go in a, in that direction. I think it's pretty impressive. It says a lot about who he is. Oh, you know what? It totally says a lot about who he is. I'm going to tell you a little romantic story here. What I think is romantic, anyway. We were together. We were together almost five years before he asked me to marry him. But soon into our relationship, uh, you know, I kind of knew that I loved him. And you know, if you've ever been in one of those in one of those relationships where you just you know you're in love with the person, it's like the, the requirement to say the words "I love you" literally is like forcing itself out of your throat, right? Right. Like you have to say it. You, it, you can't hold it in anymore. And so I told him that I loved him, and but he never said it back to me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sitting there going. Okay, well, you know, I mean, the whole Seinfeld episode about that, but go on. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. you know, and so it was. La- it was months later, um, you know, that we were just kind of, kind of laying there one night, just you know, snuggling in front of the TV or whatever, and and he said, "I love you," and it was like, you know, my stomach just dropped, and I was like, I asked him, I said, "Okay, um, you know, wh- why, why now?" And he said, "Because I couldn't, I couldn't say those words to you until I knew." that I was willing to take on you and Devin in my life in that way. Mm. You know, because it wasn't just about me. It, he understood, you know, fundamentally that that commitment was about more than just me. And that right. Devin was in, in a part of that as well, and he had to be really sure with himself uh, about what that was for him. And so, oh, my God, he's just, he's just the most amazing guy. He really is. 
And the two of you have created something together as well. Yes, we have. And and so we, um, you know, I I don't want to go too much into the story, but basically I was diagnosed with a condition called scleroderma in 1998 and uh, refused all medications. You know, I think think at the time I was just a little bit shell-shocked. I had no idea what I'd been diagnosed with. I mean, if they'd said cancer, I probably would have been scared. But I had no idea what scleroderma was, and so I don't think I had the wherewithal to be scared. But they did tell me I had probably seven years to live, which wow. kind of freaked me out. And so I said, well, you know, I'm not going to take any medication. <clears throat> had no idea what I was going to do, but I did know that by making that decision, I had to take responsibility for that. I couldn't just arbitrarily say, okay, well, I'm not taking any medications, and I'm not going to do anything to help myself either. And so I went off this whole, you know, for four or five years, this whole natural health, energetic healing kind of, you know, basically it was out there. I tried it, right? Um, and then it was about five, five, five years ago now, my husband and I went on a year-long detox process together, like year-long, every day. What detox are we on? What cleanse are we doing? What food are we eating? What are we not eating? Are we fasting? You know, whatever it was, every single day, that was absolutely our number one priority was this cleansing process for a full year, now, both of us were suffering from conditions going in. At the end of the year, neither one of us had any symptoms. And for me, that was a pretty powerful message. I wasn't a one-off walking miracle. These are two people, two genders, two different conditions, same process, same results. That was a powerful message. And so we, we created this, um, this uh, company called Choose to Live, and it's, I'm going to tell you a funny story about how we came up with that name because it has to do with peak potentials. So we're doing one of those breakthrough exercises at the end of the event, Yes, and, yes. Uh, and my breakthrough exercise was that I had re- I realized that I wasn't really living, right? What I was doing was I was walking around saying, oh, I had scleroderma and I didn't take any medications and I healed myself. Aren't I cool? Right? But I was continuing to perpetuate the fact that I had the disease, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than moving past it and really living my life. And so my breakthrough process at, at the end of that event was I'm choosing to live. And so our company became choose to live. And so that's, that's what we do. So Paul, after that process, became a registered holistic nutritionist, and I'm a shamanic healer, and uh, obviously the personal power coach work that I do as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we do kind of, you know, he's got the more tactical diet side of things, because for the most part, you know, if our bodies are not clean, our minds are not clean. You know, we're not clear. Um, but it, it can go either way for people. Sometimes they, they need to get clear spiritually first, and then they want to take care of their body, or sometimes they can take care of their body first, and then they want to get clear spiritually. So, yeah, it goes both ways. But, yeah, we, we, we have created that. It's amazing to be able to work with them that way. And the, the, the interesting thing is when I look in the back of the book, it says on the bottom, another Choose to Live project. Yes. Yes. Which is actually even a bigger reason why I wanted to bring that up, because it seems that, so that, that empowers the other things you do. Yes, totally. Yeah. So it's choose to live is like this umbrella and we get to play in all these different arenas within it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally fun. So, you know, so you're a shamanic healer, you're an intuitive guide, and you intentionally do not have formal coaching training. So I want to hear more about that. <laughs> Again, with my refusal to conform. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, you know what? I, it, it's really a matter. I, I know. I mean, listen, there's some fun absolutely amazing coaching programs out there and not only that but some of the most gifted and wonderful people in my life in my life are coaches and uh, who have really kind of walked that walk 
On the other hand, I know some people who are coaches who absolutely don't have a clue. They have, they've gone through the training, they, they do this formal process with people that they've been trained to do, but they haven't really lived the experience. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at that you know, from both sides, and I'm saying, you know what, here's the thing. Anybody out there, I believe that any single person that's out there listening right now or who may be listening in the future, as it were, has a gift. And I don't believe that any one of those people should be told that they cannot share their gift, their experience, their story, because they don't have what somebody else tells them they need to have. And so I designed this specifically to be this way, to say, you know what, I am saying I'm a personal power coach, right? And it's not a disrespect to the coaching profession or to any of the programs that are out there. What I am saying is I have walked the path. This is my experience. This is my gift. And I am sharing it with those people who, are, who I resonate with. You know, if you resonate with what I'm saying, then, then I am able to share my gift with you. But the example is what I want people to pay attention to, okay? If I look sure. back to my IT career, right, I was a requirements manager before, the, before there was ever a name for the role. Headhunters had no idea what to do with me because it was never a title for what I did. Mm-hmm. The, the name Solution Architect has only come out in the last five or six years. I was doing it, I was doing it 10 years ago. There was no name for what I did, right? There was no education. There certainly was no education to go out and become a solution architect, right? So who is anyone to say that whatever gift you have, whether it's, you know, changing babies' diapers, cleaning houses, or going off doing enterprise learning solutions, who is anyone to say that you cannot share your gift and your experience with the world because you don't have something that someone else says, some formal education, some process you need to go through. Now, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, there's some requirements there. Sure. But there's a lot of gifts that people have that they, they are being compelled to share in this time right now, and they're really not sure how to get from where they are to where they're going. And so I did this by design because I want them to know, yes, you can step into your power, you can step into your gift, and nobody can tell you that you can't. Awesome. And as a self-taught guitar player, I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to your house for a Friday night chow down, and then I want to hear guitar by the campfire. That would be great. I'm actually having a jam session tomorrow night. Awesome. I'll have you know. Play, so me, a get, Play a song so, for me. Uh, well, I can't right now because guess what? No, tomorrow, We're, tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, tomorrow. Sure, absolutely. I will play a song in your honor because you're all the way in Canada. Absolutely. Eh? And oh, by the way, I did find the uh, the uh, the website for the journaling is a uh, frame of mind coaching. Oh, perfect. So uh, you can sign up there for a free journal. That was my guess, and you can listen to that show back on my archive. And we're about at the end of our show, so I'm going to thank you, Trish Bishop, for some amazing information. And everyone should go to thequestionjourney.com, and you're going to want to order this book. The Question Journey. You can find out more about Trish at thequestionjourney.com and do follow her on Twitter at twitter.com slash questionjourney. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash coachandrew. My website is www.myfuturecoach.com and I will see everyone here next week at the same bat time, same bat station. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. I had a blast. I'm so glad. And uh, we'll see everyone in one week. Good night. Have a good night.